0: Well you're listening to Rebuilders and in today's episode, what are we talking about Mark?
1: We are going to be talking about the politics of suspicion, (laughs) scepticism. We're going to be learning how being a leader today actually feels like you're being surveilled by so many people who are looking to see you slip up. What does this all mean? How do we lead with hope? And why has Daniel finally said yes to big donut money and will he ever be the same again?
0: Oh. It's a big episode we've got in store for you. And just a reminder before we kick into it, you can register for our mailing list and get a whole host of different references and resources in that email. So head to rebuilders.co and sign up there. Hello, welcome to Rebuilders. My name is Liddy. I'm here with Mark Sayers. How are you?
1: I'm very well. I had a wonderful day off yesterday, as we all did. Melbourne yes. Cup Day, public holiday. Um, but Daniel is 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 obviously well. He just had a <laughs> so basically we were setting up, and you know, often you sort of go go quiet before you start, and we were about to start. Yep. And Daniel just said, with no context, no historical background to this conversation, <laughs> just said, just said D Day. So fascinating.
2: I'm reading, I've just, I read um, uh, Stephen Ambrose uh, Band of Brothers a couple months ago, mm-hmm. which is mm. like the mm. book based, that the TV series is based off, but he re- wrote another book called D-Day, which is like just a deep dive into, and it's like, it's huge. You know, like I read on my Kindle and the you can do a sample. It took me three hours to read the sample, and I thought I'd just read the book. <laughs> and then I was like, "All right, now you still got forty hours to go to read the rest of it." So anyway, it's very fascinating, and um, ah, just look. We'll do it. I'll, I'll do my own podcast. Oh, so right.
1: this is the announcement: we'll be launching our own military, or da- Daniel will be launching his own. We won't be there. Yeah, a military strategy podcast.
0: <laughs> I've got nothing to contribute on that front, so I, I'll just take. I believe in on that one
1: called "Deep Dives into D Day" <laughs> with Daniel. <laughs> with Daniel. <laughs>
0: uh, oh well, you know, look out for that on all your podcast yeah. platforms uh, today. We are going to continue with this kind of theme that we started in, I think it was last week's episode or the episode before, where we started to, I guess, map out a bit of a structure for looking at culture, understanding what's happening in culture and knowing how to respond as leaders to what is happening in culture in a godly Bible-based way. So we're going to continue with that today. Uh, And so a bit of context, you know, if – we look around the world there is a lot of things happening um and you know we've touched on it many times but there is rising distrust um happening throughout the world Mm. uh in societies of their governments of people in power um suspicion endless sort of surveillance and policing of one another people calling each other out it feels somewhat hopeless yes so uh that's kind of the context that we are looking at today. Um, and you we were talking just before, and you brought up this notion of the politics of hope and the politics of skepticism, which are notions that were uh, created by Michael Oakshot. Yes, yeah. political
1: scientist, British political twentieth century political scientist.
0: great. Um, and so we're going to be looking at, I guess, what's happening through those lenses today. So how about? Mark, you start off with what is the politics of hope? What does that mean?
1: Yeah. So, he he wrote, I think it was in a short book, he wrote these two concepts up and this was a way of marking almost two political moods. Okay. So, yeah, let's start with the politics of hope. The politics of hope is a kind of politics um, and almost a kind of life Mm -hmm. um, where, uh, you know, approach to life where, you know, you move towards an ideal. Um, there is a sense of gaining a broad-based coalition of people um, who come together for a great sort of idealistic quest to make the world a better place. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and so there's moments in um, uh, you know history uh, where you see this happen in politics. Um, you know, I think of you know pretty much the sort of first um, the electoral campaign of uh, 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 Barack Obama. You know, even his his poster, that iconic sort of poster, had mm. hope written on it. Um, Even Tony Blair sort of did this um, uh, when he sort of, you know, took power, this sort of new vision of Britain, people coming together, everyone was behind it, people who hadn't traditionally voted, uh, Labor for many years joined in, and this sort of sense where everyone jumps on board, this sort of great vision, which is really based around hope, and and also this sort of uh, idea that together we can create a better world. You see this also. I think that you know it's very much emblematic of that sort of historical period we've spoken about before, yeah. Um, where there was that sense from after nineteen eighty nine that we could make the world a better place, and so you, you know you saw that. Um, even Kevin Rudd's campaign in Australia was a little bit like that um, at the sort of beginning uh, uh, when he became prime minister. The sense that, hey, we can make the world a better place. There's a new era in humanity here. Let's move towards a much better future. Mm. Um, you know, it's really a, a very quick shorthand of the politics of hope.
0: Okay. So, with that in mind, <laughs> let's move to what is the politics of skepticism? Yeah.
1: So, skepticism is. Um, and I'm going to use it slightly differently um, to how uh, Michael Oakeshott used it, or can use some of his concepts. But also, I just want to bring in some other thoughts um, from uh, French political scientist called Pierre Rosenvallian. And he talks about this problem of skepticism, of suspicion, of surveillance of, of each other that begins to arise, particularly uh, in cultures like ours. Mm-hmm. And I think this is really, really relevant for us because we start, we'll start this conversation to about politics, but people will very quickly see that this is bleeding out into other institutions. Yeah. So if you're a leader and you know this podcast is sort of pitched at leaders, you obviously are leading something, a church, an institution, um and uh, it 's a time when institutions uh churches organizations leaders are viewed with increasing suspicion and skepticism, yeah, yep. so what uh talked about was that um, initially democracy solves this problem, which is that people felt that their interests and their will was not being represented so mm-hmm. say let 's look at the medieval period where people um, had uh, no representation, you had an aristocracy, kings. Um, you had these elites and they were just there because it was seen that was the way of things. Yeah, Democracy comes along and um, people then all of a sudden have suffrage representation um, and different groups are added to that, women and, and different racial minorities and it depends what country you're in. And uh, all of a sudden, you have this thing where okay, that solves the problem that people feel that their will is not represented in how a society is governing itself. Mm -hmm. So democracy solves that initial problem of how will I be represented and how will the will of me and my community or those I am invested in how will that be represented in where this country or this nation or this city is going? Yeah. But Rosamalion then talked about a a secondary problem that begins to emerge. So I'm going to use a really Rubbish uh, analogy here, but just just go with me. And, um, <laughs> we'll do our best. Yeah. So so for example, um, Daniel uh, over there, mm. uh, just say us here in the studio. We are a constituency, and we feel that we're not included in the political, uh, you know, machinations of of our city of Melbourne mm. or state of Victoria and you know we decide that we need representation so the government recognizes this and we're going to have a seat in parliament of the rebuilders studio yeah come on and and the big thing that really i think unites us beyond the content of this podcast is our love of pastries mm. so true. you know we then have a little election here and we want everyone in the state of our state in the state of our state in our state <laughs> to be given a free pastry every week by the government every i think week. that that is our will that is our democratic will we want to see represented mm-hmm. in our state. So we have a little election here and Daniel wins. And Daniel, we send him off to parliament to represent the constituency of the Rebuilders Studio. And we have one great desire that you advance the ways, because we know they're the best ways, the traditional ways <laughs> of, pastries. <laughs> of pastries.
2: Thank you. <laughs> yeah. that,
1: that every week, everyone in the state of Victoria should be given a pastry uh, before they go about their work. And this is, this is our platform. We want you to- advance so you know we you won the election <laughs> well done we send you off to parliament
2: yeah okay so I that
1: <laughs> but then what happens is Roosevelt uh, and talked about the problem is a democracy is an open debate that the reason you go to a parliament is that what parliaments do is they debate each other mm. and whether that's a Congress or whatever it's called in the country that you're listening, um, there are democratic spaces where people then discuss these issues. So Daniel might go along and he's you know going to represent our will as the pastry people, but then he might hear someone who's from a cheese region,
2: Oh, Ooh. the Gips- cheese really
1: yeah, Gippsland? G- Gippsland maybe. Yeah. And they're like, no, no no they've got so much sugar, pastries that you know, let's people need dairy mm. to build their bones up. So, mm. can't we I,
0: join them and have cheese pastries?
1: <laughs> well, that's a <laughs> politics is about compromise. Yeah. Um so so maybe maybe you know, Daniel comes back and says, "Look, you know, I've been I've been in this debate and um you know, I just wondering about pastries and and maybe Lydia, you're open to a bit of a, 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 a political compromise of a cheese-filled pastry. And I'm like, no. And and then what happens is we start to feel, or well, I start purest. to feel. No, right. I'm with you. Yeah, that, I don't know that, what
0: Daniel's doing.
1: Yeah, <laughs> that you are not representing our will. We elected you for a reason. You're not advancing the cause of what we hold dearest and deepest to our identity <laughs> as Rebuilder Studio is, is pastries. Um Another thing that may happen is you may go along and then there may be someone who's from a, a uh, you know, a, a donut, uh, uh, the donut lobbying industry, <laughs> big, you know, big donut dollars, you know, it takes you out to dinner. Mul- multi-billion. <laughs> multi-billion dollar donut industry. Dunking donuts, you know, all these, you know, Krispy Kremes, Crispy you know, They've got oh. this lobbyist in, in parliament. And, uh, you know, they, they basically take you out to dinner. You know, they, they allow you to stay at their resort um, <laughs> down, at donut, donut donut, down at Donut Cove.
2: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: and, and they're like, yeah, we love the pastries. We love that you're passionate about pastries. But there is only really one pastry. It's donuts. You know, and you come back to us and say, I've got the deal. It's, it's pastries. Everyone's going to have it. And it's going to be sponsored by the Donut Industry. But you can only have a donut. And I'm like, man- I love my almond croissants. Um, you know, like, 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 like well, that's Lydia sneezing, yeah, uh, not, not, not uh, raging over the uh, uh, lack of uh, representation. Oh, never know. Never know. <laughs> so what happens uh, is that all of a sudden we start to then look at you very differently. Daniel mm. is our representative. You're not doing what we want. can't you're believe s- you've
0: sold out, man.
1: Yeah, you've sold so- out to big donut money. Um, <laughs> you're listening to these crazy ideas about cheese. And then what happens is the politics of hope, which we sent you off, we sent you off with hope. It was a a unified – the Rebuilder Studio was unified in the politics of hope Mm -hmm. of pastries for every person in our state. All of a sudden now it's skepticism and we're Mm. watching you. We're looking at who you're hanging out with. We're seeing your Instagram – you know, live, and we're writing down you- Down Donut
2: Cove. Down at Donut he's, oh, he's
1: with the Krispy Kreme guy again. What's going on? And then we start to call you out, and we start to uh, influence these ways of trying to make sure our will is represented, but not just through voting.
2: Mm. Yes, yes.
1: Okay. Now, Rosenvallion calls this counter-democracy. Mm-hmm. This is ways of affecting politics, that are not just about voting. This could be a protest march. This could be lobbyists. um, This is, this is, this. And then this creates this deep distrust so we start to trust Parliament less, we start to distrust you less. We may even start to distrust each you know, you you mm. you're happy to have a cheese yeah, in your know. Yeah, I did thing, mention you know?
0: the cheese. I don't see why you're so opposed to it. <laughs> yeah,
1: well, check my Twitter and you'll you'll find <laughs> out. Um so yeah, so that's that's essentially just gives you some of the background of how uh, you know, there's this great politics of skepticism uh can sort of take over a political system.
0: Okay. And so we are seeing like a variety of versions of that occurring. Yeah. Um at the moment, across the world, are there different types of, I guess, the politics of skepticism? Yes, like it doesn't all just sort of manifest in one form.
1: Yes. So, so what's really interesting is is that in a time of politics of in a, in a time of politics of hope, people will often put their political platform first. Okay. So we want a socialist government. We want a free market government we want a conservative family first government. You'll say it. What happens in a politics of scepticism is you don't say it first. It's a bit submerged behind your protest. Okay. So, for example, um, so some, some of the sort of prote- uh, politics of, um, there's a bunch. So, okay, number one, there's not just one um, politics of scepticism. There's multiple, as you said. So, l- just name some of them. So, the first one is um, there is this, Sense of, I would say, this fear of government is one. So, fear of, um, you know, Daniel and how he's now part of the machine. He's part of parliament. He's part of, you know, big government in cities, part of, you know, Washington or London or Westminster politics or whatever. You know, you see this language that actually what it is, it's the federal government. That's the problem. It's the big state government. And so, you have this skepticism where the primary uh, uh, I guess, uh, target of the skepticism is the government. So this is very much libertarianism. Mm-hmm. Libertarianism sees the problem in the world that is of control and centralized power, particularly in big government, where the rights of the individual, as it's seen are restricted. Yeah. Okay. So, so the second, the, you know, they'll sort of, their positive politics of hope is we want individual rights and we want people to do what they want. Mm-hmm. The skeptical thing of that is big government's bad, Big regulation's bad. The Federal Reserve is bad. The Australian Reserve Bank is bad. So, you know, that's very much you see. And and this goes back to, if you go back to French politics, there was this, at the time of the revolution, um, there was this fear that the ancient regime would return, that, that, you know, we've had this revolution, the ordinary people have risen up, the the citizens have taken control, but what if somewhere there's the emperor, you know? And this Mm, happened in mm -hmm. Britain. Like you had... um, uh, Oliver Cromwell, and you had, the, you know, the, uh, Charles I was executed, uh, but there was always Charles II. His son was hanging out in France somewhere, always going to return, and he did return, and, and the monarchy was re-established. Um, very much, again, this is the American story of this fear of power in the crown mm-hmm. through King George, and then that sort of gets transposed to, you know, Washington, D.C., and the federal government. You know, this, language, this is the drain the swamp language. Um, there's a second, so in a sense, that the goal of that is to protect the individual. Now again, to all, you're going to hear all of these in a sense dribble down a little bit, even into contemporary church. Well, that'll become mm. yeah, you okay. see some of these reckonings. So that re- one's
2: almost like skeptis- skepticism of the institution. Would that be kind of the broad,
1: the big central institution? Yeah, yes. Okay, yeah. Which yes. again, you see
2: that at government, but it's dribbling
1: down into you know all forms. I think of, yeah, okay. of culture. The second one is is. The first one wants to protect the individual, so it has this sceptical thing to protect the individual. The second one is to protect the civic space. So I talked about France. There was this fear that the the ancient regime would return, you know, the king, the king would return, um, or the royals would return, in the aristocracy. In this one, once the French Revolution kicked off, you had these different waves of revolutionaries. So you had the Girondin and the Jacobin, and you know these people like Robespierre. So the original first waves of the revolution were then killed by even more radical revolutionaries. Mm -hmm. And there's this point where, you know, you've got just the um, guillotine is just going and the guillotine is just like killing everyone. So at first it's killing the aristocracy, but then it's killing the next wave of revolutionaries because they're not revolutionary enough. And this is where there's a fear that the mob takes over. Yeah. So there's this skepticism that you see of how do we protect the civic space from the mob? So, you see this in culture where you see this sort of fear. There is this fear. So, we've had a populist moment and there is a fear of populism. And, oh, if we sort of, it's almost, what it's not saying out loud is, oh, if we let all these uneducated people all of a sudden influence and, you know, and you see these people even arguing, that like, should people who don't have a university degree be allowed to vote? You know, this is almost this idea that there is always this mob rule, this mob mentality. Mm-hmm. You see this person on the left, you know, uh, so during some of Donald Trump's presidency, you saw this on the left where people were concerned about, you know, what's happened, the the, the democratic electoral process has been over, you know, has been um, uh, not worked in the way that they wanted it to with the election yes. of Donald Trump. Brexit was another one. Hang on, we didn't get the result we wanted. So then there's this scepticism. Hang on, is something deeply wrong here? Yeah, The right habit at times, you know, there's a lot of um, the right have had it um, uh, where there's a fear of the mob and the mob sort of like bringing high art down to low art and, you know, ruining the culture with their lowbrow tastes. So that, that's another one. Another one is the classic sort of Marxist one. Um, which is basically a skepticism of democracy, big finance. That actually democracy is just big donut money runs it, man. You know, it's like <laughs> yeah, you got your elections, but they're all a sham, and really big business runs the whole thing. Yeah. And yeah, you know, we're suspicious of that. There's a subset which I would say is almost we talked about critical theory. You've almost got this sort of critical theory intersectional version where it's like, yep, there's there's elections and so on, but there's these powers hidden behind them, you know, sexism or or you know, um, racism or, or whatever the, these sort of forms behind them. And yes, we've got elections, but the whole system is is broken. So all of these different forms of suspicion and skepticism all sort of move around and are competing with each other. There's very few actual hope-filled visions in the world at Mm -hmm. this time. Um, I think Australia's a little bit different. I think they're they're there, um, but there's sort of higher trust in in government here, even in the midst of the pandemic. I mean, that's another whole sort of story, but um, we're seeing very much in the world these growing skepticism um, that is bouncing around the place, competing with each other. And often you'll see skepticism battles so, for example, mm. you know, the libertarian one versus the liberal one, you know, versus the Marxist one, they're all bashing into each other.
0: Do you think that, you know, the advent of the internet, because obviously these these theories and notions were kind of started to be explored pre-internet age, yeah. do you think the internet has pro- progressively pushed us to more of a sphere of um, the politics of scepticism? Yes, uh, yes. Yeah,
2: yes. that was my thinking yeah. as well. Because, like, you go—I know—you go back fifty years. Like, it's a lot harder to be, like, yeah. It's not harder to be skeptical, but you kind of not—you you don't have. I suppose you have less of less, less of a voice in mm. airing your skepticism, whereas mm. now you can jump on Twitter and yes, at whoever this yes. is what I think of you. Um. So I think like, that's grown significantly. Mm. Mm.
1: Yeah, there's definitely where regimes or institutions could control the flow of information and to continue to tell yeah. their defining story. Yeah, through TV. Through TV, TV print media, mass media. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, like in the past to be able to publish a newspaper, it was very expensive or a TV station, yes. yeah, super yeah. expensive, radio. Um, and, you know, you might in a city have a couple of community radio stations that, yeah. you know, but it's like really hard unless you're a um, – a really rich person who can buy their own Mm -hmm. newspaper or TV Mm -hmm. station. Um, uh, The internet has flattened all of that. So the internet by its very nature, and this is, you know, similar to what we spoke about in the Network World um, series that we Mm -hmm. did, is that it drains power away from the centre. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And that's what we've seen. So number one, it it moves it away from the centre. So that sort of just already starts to create a scepticism naturally because of its structure. The second thing is what the internet does is the internet. So Rosanvalion talked about surveillance. So we start to watch our representatives. Are you doing the right thing? Mm-hmm. So and that was there before the internet. Again, too, you know, there was always this sort of natural suspicion of you know you wanted to stop corruption. You wanted to make sure that people represented you. Mm. Um, that's always been part of politics. But what the internet does, and particularly I think video as well, mm. is that video casts a light on everything. It's a lot harder to hide things on video. And so, you know, like, I just was an example. This morning I was, you know, watching the news, and, you know, there's the um, global um, climate um, uh, meeting in Glasgow. Mm. And, you know, there's like people going, oh, but here's the jet that so-and-so flew on. They're telling us, you know, they've got to cut emissions, but here's the private jet that yeah. whoever flew mm-hmm. in on. Yeah, yeah. So it's really hard to hide stuff um, and injustice comes to the fore. You know, again, too, the classic example of the last couple of years was, you know, George Floyd's uh, uh, death captured on, on cell phone footage. Mm. You know, when you see that stuff, there's something that connects you in a very human way with, I think, hu- a human uh, images and, and faces, I think, connect us. So... What that does is it creates this sort of like, a lot of people are, are afraid of surveillance culture. You know, we think of places like China and stuff that's happened with different security services and, um, um the internet. But what people don't realise, there's almost a generalised public surveillance going on all the time. Yeah, so, so, people are always watching what others are doing. They can't even just be having a group of friends. Like, oh, that person went to that party without telling me, because you see things that you wouldn't normally see. So, it creates this whole sort of context and, and, and uh, battleground, if you like, of surveillance. So, I think those two things have definitely advanced this culture of skepticism. It's a lot harder. And even just, just to give an example, like it's really interesting, like in the Soviet Union during, uh, you know, communism, it was very much there was, you know, something called, uh, was it, it called neo-socialist art or no, socialist realism, mm. which was these pictures of like, you know, uh, Stalin, you know, with farmers around him and he's holding a big bale of like wheat and he looks mm-hmm. looks very majestic and they're all looking up at him and everyone's got shining faces and it's like this very positive art propaganda it's it's the politics of hope yes you know um and but it's really interesting like russia today which is sort of the propaganda arm of russian state tv which is then exported throughout the world as a cable tv network their motto is question everything Mm. so they they see that the new propaganda is actually based on skepticism Hmm. yeah and that's another way so behind it yeah there is your sort of um you know, Russian national um, interests, but it's presented as skepticism. Again, to lots of stuff around the pandemic, it's sort of like, oh, we're questioning this and government overreach, but behind is actually a, a libertarian submerged view. Yeah, okay. Um, and, and this is some of the arguments that, you know, people have had um, with all, 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 I would put all those different versions of the politics of skepticism, whether it's liberalism, intersectionality, mm. critical theory, Marxism, whatever. The fear is, okay, I can see your critique and we may even agree, on this critique, but something is – is there's actually an ideology hidden beneath the wrapping. And just to say one thing too, mm. the other thing on the online, it's really – it's harder to get a coalition of the willing in the politics of hope than it is in the politics of scepticism. Say that again. It's harder to get people to agree to a positive vision mm. because you'll have to agree. This is where we're going. This is what we want to achieve versus – the politics of scepticism, I can't stand that person. You don't like them as well. Yeah. So you get these really weird coalitions at the moment that don't make sense Mm. because people are united, you know, and again, you've seen that with the pandemic. You've got these really weird sort of coming together of sort of like, you know, people who are on on the further reaches of the right, the further reaches of the left, people who are sort of libertarians, people who are sort of like wellness, organic people. Um, You get all these groups coming together that if they actually had to then – If they achieved their if they got rid of the thing they were against, yeah, and then had to have a positive platform, it would probably all fall apart very quickly.
0: So like what I'm hearing is that a lot of this comes down to trust um, and that there is a significant lack of trust going on um, across the world between individuals but also between individuals and societies and their um, institutions and their governing sort of bodies. With the lack of trust – at the moment and to put that in the context of the fact that there is a lot of stuff happening in the world where we need kind of specialist people to look after yes. stuff like COVID-19 and yes, the pandemic, yes, yes. Um, uh, climate change, yes. uh, geopolitical tensions, you yes. know, th- there are a lot of things that are occurring that require um, the individual to trust or the the mob to yes. trust what like how does how is this playing out yes. and yeah
1: that's a good point so okay so the politics suspicion a lot of and skepticism a lot of it started when the world was sort of just moving along and the economy was growing and again to that classic period we talk about 1989 onwards where there wasn't a global war on terror the economy looked like grow forever it seemed like apartheid had fallen you know communism was falling in large parts of the world so things were just going to slide and slowly get better and you know it was more about you know what sneakers you were going to buy on this wonderful new platform called online shopping versus <laughs> the big issues in the world yep. now the politics of skepticism started to grow in that area what's really interesting i think particularly and i think that the pandemic's the beginning of this is how do you then okay so politics at the moment that the culture has become really, really ideological, I think you could make a really good argument that politics is having to become less ideological. Okay. Now, a lot of people disagree with me on that, but bear with me. What I find interesting is when a pandemic comes along, you have to do what works versus necessarily your ideology. So, a classic example, mm-hmm. you had left and right-wing governments all across the world give out stimulus. Yeah. So, you had governments which classically were, let's not, um, the government, sh- like, you know, you, you had governments which were right wing, which, you know, they classically were like, let's not let the government run the economy. All of a sudden, we're running the economy in incredibly interventionist ways yeah. across the world. When you had, the US was heading towards a recession because of COVID-19, which is possibly going to be worse than the uh, two thousand eight Two thousand and nine global financial recession. No mm-hmm. one was virtually no one was saying, "Don't send out stimulus." Everyone was like, "You need to send out stimulus." Yeah. Um, so you have these things where what's happening in the world is because what, what Adam Tooze, the economist, argues that effectively what's happening the politics. Politics is moving now into the art of risk management and dealing with crisis, crisis management, risk management. Again, we've talked about risk world that we're in, Mm -hmm. Ulrich Beck's Mm -hmm. idea that the world is um, increasingly challenged by things like new geopolitical, like managing Taiwan and the geopolitical tensions around the South China Sea and Taiwan is a Mm -hmm. huge balancing act that is gonna be really difficult the supply chain issues we talked about yeah, recently, yeah. Um, the global economy, the, the trillions and trillions of dollars of debt that the world is now in because of these stimuluses, um, the possible return of inflation, um, the economy is heading into uncharted waters, the, the p- potential of new pandemics in the future. As I said, we're speaking as the um, world is gathering in Glasgow to speak about the climate change challenges. Hmm. There are so many challenges in the world at this point in time that increasingly it's less about, for governments, it's less about a politics of skepticism or a politics of hope. It's now about a politics of managing crises. Yeah, okay. Now, in a crisis, you need trust. Um, and, um, you know, I think one reason that in Australia, it's been different. You know, like Australia's now, you know, it's really interesting. We've been reporting at different times, Australia's going to hit an extremely high vaccine rate, possibly one of the highest vaccine rates in the world. Canberra, and uh, one of our major cities, is hitting 99% vaccination. Is that mm. there's a much higher trust in, in central government in, in, in Australia? Um, and so uh, you look at Brazil, Brazil um, has some of the least trust. So, I think Denmark has a really high trust. Um, I was Actually, I saw the stats in here somewhere. Um, so, uh, oh, where is it? This is, you know, looking through pages as um, – I can't do two things at once. Is what the audience is realising at home. But I'll look, I'll just summarise. Um, is it a table? It was a quote somewhere. Oh. Yeah, so, so – <laughs> So, for example, uh, Denmark, which is often rate, Francis Fukuyama, the political scientist, said Denmark is, you know, sort of one of the freest sort of, you know, best-run countries in the world. They have a huge trust in each other and the government. Mm. Brazil um, has a really low trust in each other in the government. And you see Brazil is in a really polarized place um, at this point in time. Um, so there's this sense that you need trust um, but the politics of scepticism is rising at the exact moment you need to trust institutions more. Now, there was a really interesting quote in, in um, uh book, which I think what you see then is with the pandemic in particular um, and climate, mm. it's fascinating because this politics of scepticism and suspicion then goes into other areas such outside of politics. So, mm. for example, into science. So, he says this, In the current age of catastrophe and uncertainty, modern industry and technology tend to be associated more with risk than progress. The risk society is by its very nature wary of the future, yet its citizens are still obliged to place their trust in scientists because they cannot weigh the relevant issues without the aid of specialists. Thus, the role of scientists is as problematic as it is indispensable, and thus is a source of resentment." So what's fascinating is they're saying you need scientists and experts more than ever, but at the same time we're resenting them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's fascinating like when you think about the vaccine, uh, you know, so we need the scientists to create a vaccine really quickly to get out of lockdowns, but then when they bring the vaccine along, there's this huge culture of scepticism and suspicion around them. Yeah, yeah. Same with climate scientists. So all of a sudden these things, it's not just about people reacting against science because there's all these other areas in life where we use science and don't even think about it. But there's particular, uh, this is this dynamic of high risk, high crises, alongside high suspicion, which is fascinating.
2: Is that partly going back to the, what we talked about in the previous episode of value versus fact, mm. where scientists like, here's the facts. But yes. Oh, hang on, that clashes with my value. Yes. Is that the kind of yes. dynamic playing out there? Yes.
1: A new begin sort of like understanding of how sort of plausibility and truth works. Yeah. Um, so to surveil you, like the 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 values language is like well it's naturally suspicious so you mm. you as you come back to us and say from parliament <laughs> and say well, donuts are better it is a fact and we're like yeah but how do you know that Mm. I've been on Google, and you know, yeah. I checked out the truth the, for myself. Big wigs down at Donut Cove. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> they <yes>. told me. <laughs> yeah, the donut. You just sold that to Donut Cove money, man. <laughs> well, they're crazy, crazy. You know, experiments they're doing down there. Um, yeah, so it's it's this fascinating moment um, hmm. Uh, hmm. where I think this is goes a long way to explaining sort of how it feels so fragile and contentious at this point in time. Hmm.
0: Okay, so the reality is we're seeing this, uh, as you mentioned, it's dribbling down into real life, but we're seeing it happen in our churches, this politics Mm. of scepticism and suspicion. Mm. Um, So how do we as church leaders look at this? What do we do?
1: So I think first looking at the situation. So as we said, this politics of scepticism has moved out of just politics Mm -hmm. into science. It's happening Mm. in culture. Yeah. It's happening everywhere. It's happening in the workplace. Mm. Um, and it's definitely happening in churches. And as we mentioned at the top, that if you're a leader, if you're part of an institution, you increasingly will be viewed with suspicion. Yeah. Um, and I think we, we used to think about this in particular ways. Oh, I'm just going to be viewed with suspicion by those people outside of the church or mm. something. Um, or perhaps that super religious group within the church. You know, classically, there was things like the worship wars, the people who like the the traditional organ versus the yes. contemporary, you know, guitar based music. Or there may be people who are on, you know, different, I don't know, theological divides of, you know, should there be women preachers? Shouldn't there be? Or, you know, stuff like this. That, that's classic how these things played mm-hmm. out. But now it's happening in, I think it, what's happening in the church looks more like what's actually happening outside the culture. Yeah. Okay. There's less battles are theological, more they are, or maybe they actually really are theological. But <laughs> I'll come to that in a second. But they, they seem more cultural or political. Um, And so people are bringing the framework of suspicion that they're dealing with in the rest of their lives, that they may deal with, you know, that store they just bought something from or their local member of parliament or whatever. They're bringing that into the church. Now, I mentioned surveillance Mm. and um, I think it's probably just helpful to name that perhaps some of the stress that leaders have been feeling is that you are surveilled.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's the whole council culture thing, right? Exactly.
1: Exactly. Um, and so that f- feeling that you may feel like, I oh and whatever I do, I'm going to get someone upset is, yep. is also because you are being surveilled. Yeah. Um, and the reason you're being surveilled is you're viewed with the politics of skepticism. Um, and I think the other point that's worth noting is I think a lot of people in learning how to be leaders, there's a lot of leadership books on how to do the politics of hope. It was the last era we've just come from. Mm. Um, that's maybe what you learned at college or seminary or from that really helpful business leadership book or that helpful Christian leadership book. Politics of hope doesn't always work well in politics of skepticism. You get up there and people are, who is this guy? Now it does work with some people. Yep. Um, but Really, a lot of uh, political hay has been made in attacking things, and we're now seeing that in the church. People who mm-hmm. are, you know, not for this great vision here are oh, where these people who are against critical theory or, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um. And so, you know, I think understanding that that context has changed. But when the context, of the environment changes, that's always an opportunity to go deeper with God. Um. You know, I think it's a big, uh, you know, truth of this podcast. Mm-hmm. Um. So I think that that's how we're seeing it. It, it dribbled down. Um, but I think we actually—I I mentioned they're theological, and I actually think there is something theologically going on behind this.
0: Okay. Well, with that in mind, how do we look at it biblically? Then, how do we, yeah, understand it?
1: Well, returning to our book of the month—months—or <laughs> is you know uh, Michael Cahine's, uh book about Leslie Newbegin mm. and his sort of compilation of Leslie Newbegin's thought, which is a great uh, reconnection for me with Newbegin's thought and an introduction for others. Um, he he talks about the fact that Newbigin saw Leslie Newbigin, who was, if you're listening for the first time, is a uh, British Christian thinker who went to India for many, many years, encountered um, uh, Indian culture and how to communicate the gospel in Indian culture, then came back to the UK and then looked at Western culture through a very similar lens. And he argued that every encounter between the gospel and a culture created a kind of tension. Mm -hmm. And it created this... Um, I put in the simplest forms a yes and a no to culture. So what that meant was that there is a form where I, there are things in every culture, eternity is in our hearts, that may reflect the creational order of God's goodness in the world. Okay, yep. Um, it could be that a culture has a respect for elders, Yep. something that Proverbs tells us to do. mm mm-hmm. Um, but then there might be other things in that culture where there's a widespread um, acceptance of economic corruption. Okay. So every single culture, no, ma- no matter what it it was, was a there's a no and a yes. Mm-hmm. Now what Newbigin did was he said that's also true for Western culture because how a lot of missionaries approached that question was yeah there's yeses and nos to this Indian culture that we're going to but they never realised that it was the same for their British yes. or American yes. or Australian or Canadian or whatever culture, and so. I think that's a really helpful way. And in some ways, if you think about it, that affirmation of what is good and reflects God's creational order in a culture, you could almost say that, aligns with Oakeshott's politics of hope.
0: Yes, yeah, yeah.
1: But then there are things we have to be sceptical and suspicious and and almost surveil, like look at, because that is then a representation of the idolatrous distortion in every culture. Mm Mm-hmm. So I would actually argue that in some ways what's happening is in our world, the politics of hope and the politics of suspicion are a secularized version of something that needs to happen as the Christian encounters culture. We need to look at anything and weigh it up biblically before God. Mm. We need to look at our own um, beliefs and weigh them up. Yeah. You know? And And so I think there's this moment where, there is so much suspicion, so much mistrust in the world. We need to go, what is the parts of that which are accurate? Mm. Because there is a prophetic tradition in the scriptures. There is, there is a calling to account. Uh, the spirit of God goes out in the world and it confronts injustice and sin and unrighteousness. Mm-hmm. And so there's an element that the there is a prophetic element to, to that viewpoint of skepticism. Yet if it's just pure negation and pure nihilism and pure negativity, mm. it just becomes this thing which rips things down. So that's the problem number one. If we have yeah. the prophetic without the biblical yes to culture mm-hmm. um, and yes to the world through grace and through the cross that Jesus brings, we just end up with this incredibly nihilistic position. You know, and th- that's a lot of what's happening in the world at the moment. The second thing is, if we also do what I call the politics, you know, I was saying before, the politics of suspicion and scepticism, yet submerged behind there is an ideology. Yeah. So if we just go, we don't like this about what the government's doing over here um, and, uh, uh, you know, what they're doing with the pandemic here and they've got too much government control. But then if, if behind that is actually a politics of libertarianism yeah. where you actually don't really believe in regulation, there should be a CDC or an FDC or if, what is it, FDA or whatever because you just think there should be unfettered, Capitalistic innovation without any government control—that's actually covering an underlying ideology. Or you know, if you you know, I mean, there's multiple examples we give that I just want to just pick on that one. But you look at a lot of this stuff is actually um, hiding behind. You know, so for example, another you know another one is a lot of the sort of some of the stuff that you see around. Some of the intersectional stuff of you know we want this we want diversity and blah 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 but then behind it it's like that's at a company which then has unfair labor laws and practices yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and you know is actually this highly competitive environment which actually isn't diverse because yes everyone who went there went to some high paid college and you know it's only the wealthy so again too these are examples of how in our world there's politics suspicion often at of the front facing front part of the house but what's in the back of the house and what are the idols that are actually being hidden at this time so, so we need that the no, if you like of the biblical witness and confrontation with culture but we also need the yes at this time and, and I think that one thing that I think people need to realize is that people still want a politics of hope people or, I'm not going to say politics people still want a message of hope they want the yes of yeah, the gospel yeah it's louder the politics of skepticism and suspicion are louder it's emotive it grabs our attention mm-hmm. I studied advertising and and I remember that you know that we, we learned that you know emotions can arrest people and you know the classic old way was of you know lust or aspiration to sell a product. Mm-hmm. But I think anger and condemnation and shame are almost more powerful now in the digital space. Yeah, yeah. And so that's why it can feel that in your church, you're getting the emails and you're getting people online. But still remember, that's still often a minority. Those actually engaged in the cultural war of politics of skepticism and suspicion is still a minority, but it's an extremely loud minority. Mm-hmm. And in a civil war, studies of wars have shown us that only you need to sort of 15% or whatever of combatants to keep a society going in a war. And that's very much where we're at at the moment. So I think that a leader coming forward needs to hold together the hope and the skepticism, but do that in a way that is biblical and that Christ is leading forward and that represents that, that no to sin of the gospel, uh-huh. but that yes of grace that we encounter on the cross and in the resurrection.
0: Yeah, that's really helpful. Um, practically, what does that look like?
1: Okay, so I don't have a, like an answer. Like, okay, What I really want to avoid here is – more and more, I think one of the big lessons of the last two years is I talk about the West a lot, but realize how different the West is and particularly how the pandemic and some of these culture issues are oh, yeah. so different yeah. in different cultures. Um, someone who's listening to this in Ontario, I mean, we can say Canada versus Australia. Let's just look at Canada. This is going to be different in British Columbia, Ontario, where you are in Ontario to Quebec. Uh, it's different where you are. Rural city, different parts of a city. Yeah. Uh, whatever group you're working with, what's the demographic makeup of your church? This is different in different places. I think we're in an open source moment. Mm. We're in an open source moment. And what I mean by that is an open source moment where anyone can write code. And I think there's a great thing that God's doing in the world now where we're all working on this together. What this looks like for us in Melbourne, um, this part of Melbourne with the people that God's called us to will look di- le- to lead, will look different in other parts uh, yeah. of the world. So I feel like there's this great project as we move into this time of this widespread Distrust. also a time where increasingly crisis and risk is going to be central to our lives and governments working their way through that and communities working their way through that. There there needs to be people out there who are going forth and doing that contextual learning that Mm. Leslie Newbegin did. Leslie Newbegin, I think, has something to offer us because he was doing cultural missiology and he was biblically reading the culture as he encountered the culture. Like the metaverse, we'll talk about the metaverse, but the metaverse just—you know—I mean, I've been talking about it for a little bit, but it's new. Like, but then Facebook, like, like the metaverse is—all ha- this stuff is happening so quickly. Yeah, we need people responding to this in biblical ways as it is happening encountering that culture, what is right about this, what, what, what aligns with the creational mandate, what goes against the creational mandate and is it an idolatrous distortion. So I, I have this hope that, you know, I, I don't think this is like some you know bad business book from 1994. I'm like, well, okay, let me give you the five things to do. <laughs> I think this is the great work of our lives. And I think yeah. those listening who feel a tension at this moment and hate being in conflict and feel like they're being surveilled and all of that, Let's turn that, that, that's how leaders have always felt through most of history. It's the, this sort of politics of hope with no substance, uh, sort of ideology that, that led us to believe that we could lead everyone to this wonderful coalition, everyone would be happy. Um, but actually we see Jesus said that people will come against you. So let's work together. Let's pray for each other. Let's trust that God's actually going to lead us to this point where I think he does a new thing as we learn to really weigh up culture. Mm. I think one of the great things that have let us down in the last period is we were not good at reading culture. And we need to get really good at biblically reading culture because we're going to be encountering a dynamic changing culture all the time and we need to respond with true. And the only way we can respond to that dynamic changing culture is when we're connected to the, the unchanging God and his biblical yep. vision, which helps us see the world through the spectacles of the gospel.
0: Whew, so great. So helpful, Mark. Thank you. Uh, yeah we look forward to diving into a little bit more of that next time just a reminder if you are listening and you want a list of all of those books that were referenced and other things that were referenced today we send them out alongside our um, episode release so if you want to sign up to our mailing list you can head to rebuilders.co and register for the mailing list there and we'll get an email out to you see you next time